All right, he's Jacob. He's Dave. And this is the Burning Bones Podcast, episode two. See how this I didn't goes. realize how cool that opening was. That was awesome. <laughs> it's all right. It's, it's a work in progress still. Let's see how it goes. When we all recorded right. it last time, we, we didn't get to hear the fullness of that. That's pretty sweet. <laughs> Glad you like it. We'll see how other people think, think it works. It's kind of fun just to goof around and stuff like that. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Uh, well, I think everything's going here, so we can start talking. So, episode two. So, uh, today we're to, we're going to talk about uh, some of my past experiences in history with some of the theological stuff, and then, uh, assuming we'll have time, we'll get around to uh, looking at a hymn and seeing how that goes and what that teaches us mm. about Christ and His Word. Awesome. Okay. Uh, well, okay. So. Uh, recap again here. Last time we talked about uh, Jacob's kind of theological journey and where he's come from and his experiences on his his journey towards uh, Lutheranism and and all that. And 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 while he's still very young and all this kind of stuff, but he's been making a lot of a lot of changes with all that. So <clears throat> so I'll kind of give my little background here and, and we'll see what, what happens. So uh, okay, so I'm. Uh, I'm a Lutheran high school teacher, which I, I realized a while back that there's actually very few of us that get to teach theology at a Lutheran high school full time. Like there's only about 90 Lutheran high schools in the country, something like that. And most of them are fairly small, like 200 students or less, something like this. And so mm-hmm. the idea that anybody gets to teach theology at a Lutheran high school full time is pretty, it's pretty slim, right? Like, so when I was teaching before in uh, Wisconsin, I taught theology and also some computers and all the other theology teachers also taught other things. We all just took a couple of sections of theology, but at a bigger school, you have the opportunity to teach only theology. And so I figured, I figured there's gotta be probably less than a hundred of us in the country that just get to teach theology full time. There's only a couple of Lutheran high schools that can, that can probably have that go on. And so I think we're pretty select. So we get, that's like, that's like fewer than there are brain surgeons and stuff, you know? So we're a pretty small group. <laughs> I'm not sure if that means anything. It's just kind of interesting. Small crowd. Very, uh, you're yeah. elite. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. So I didn't start out that way though. I started out doing a variety of other things. So, so kind of background of my life and history here. So I grew up in Southern California, went to a church there. My whole life didn't, didn't move around at all. Um, and the church there was, was pretty, I think what, what you call traditional. There wasn't a praise band or anything. It was, it was uh, pretty liturgical and we did all the traditional kind of things and we had two pastors there uh, most of my life and um and they kind of traded off responsibilities and and they wore vestments every sunday and everything was was pretty pretty standard in that regard um i remember thinking when i was younger that things weren't very exciting things were kind of boring and we kept doing the same thing all the time and i didn't really understand the reasons for all that and, and I, I kind of knew there were other churches that did, did things differently, but I definitely didn't know the extent of all that or the reasons for all that stuff. Um, and so I wasn't that that super concerned about it, but it was kind of bothering to me. And I, I would have gone completely um, towards something else if I would have been uh, able to do that, I think, in a lot of ways. I didn't really understand distinctives about theology. I mean, I was confirmed in eighth grade and the usual stuff, but I really didn't have a lot of background as to what other Christians believed and the differences between that. I went to a high school that was affiliated with the Christian Reformed uh, denomination, and I remember hearing that they um, baptized people when they were a little older, and some of them did like more immersion or dunking. And I really thought that was about the only difference 
was just the method of baptism. I didn't really understand all that much the differences between uh, different Christian denominations and all that stuff until much later. So I graduated from high school. I went to uh, Concordia, Nebraska, um, and I still I showed up there probably with a bit of a chip on my shoulder about all that stuff um, that I really didn't understand the differences. And I remember um, being frustrated that uh, there were all these different denominations and, and does it really matter? All, do all the differences really matter? Do they matter enough that we're separated from other Christians? And are we supposed to be united and one? And wouldn't that be a better uh, indicator and, and witness to the world if we could all be one instead of fighting about these things that in my mind at the time were not big deals? And I got pretty upset about some of these things. And I would, I would kind of pick on things that I noticed around campus or, or other churches that, um, that I didn't know what they meant. And I remember I was, I was uh, singing at a church one time for, uh, for a choir concert. And we were warming up, um, standing up in the front of the church. And the church had um, some symbols around it. And I remember pointing to one of them and asking one of my friends, who was a pre-seminary student, uh, what does that mean? And he said, I don't know. And I said, me neither. Why do we have stuff like that if we don't know what it means? And he's like, I'm not sure. That's a good question. And then we didn't really talk anymore about it. Um, you know, we were probably juniors, maybe. We didn't know all the things about this kind of stuff. And, and I got really frustrated. So I remember going in and talking to one of my professors at, at Concordia, Nebraska, who was fairly involved with um, with the production of, of Lutheran worship, which is the blue hymnal. Um, and I remember asking him, what was the deal with this? Oh, here's another thing is that when I grew up, the church I was going at was attending had the um, the green hymnal Lutheran book of worship. And I got to Nebraska mm-hmm. and they only used the blue hymnal Lutheran worship, which I thought at first, which is like a different cover, you know, a different color cover. But then I realized pretty quickly, <laughs> no, it was a whole different thing. And then I said, what is the deal? And I, if I remember correctly, it's like Lutheran book of worship. The, the green one came out in like 78 or something. And then the green or the, the, the blue one came out in like 78 and the green one came no, backwards. The green one came out in like 78. And the blue one came out in like 82, something like that. And I said, why did we put out another hymnal four years after the other one came out? And it had a lot of overlap. There were a lot of, uh, of the settings of the service that were similar. Uh, the tunes were similar in some places. They, they did uh, mix some things around. But I remember going to this professor that was involved with this. And I said, why do we have this other hymnal? And he tried to explain to me. He was very patient and kind. He tried to explain to me because the, the green hymnal was produced in in uh, cooperation with, at the time, the American Lutheran Church, the ALC, and the Lutheran Church in America, the LCA. And we were in kind of in this relationship with them. And, uh, but then pretty shortly after that, they, um, they joined to make the, the ELCA, the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America, and started, things started going downhill in that regard. And so we withdrew fellowship from them. And so because we had cooperated with them on this hymnal, um, some of the churches that kind of were early adopters to that hymnal uh, bought a bunch of them or whatever, and they were continuing to use them. But some other churches that didn't right away, or maybe that saw the writing on the wall with all this stuff, waited until the blue one came out. And then we had our own distinct LCMS hymnal that didn't have the connection with the ELCA stuff. And it was produced by Concordia Publishing instead of uh, the other one might have been a cooperation between that and um, that and the ELCA publishing house or something. I don't know the details on that, but. Um, so he was trying to explain this to me. He was being very kind. And I said, that's kind of, whatever. It's kind of silly that we have this different hymnal and we're separated. Just one more way Christians can be separate and whatever. And again, I really didn't understand the differences, especially on these on these, kind of these big issues about uh, human sexuality and, um, and and the pastoral office and these kinds of things that really are, are very distinct in terms of the LCMS and the LCA now. So, um, so I, I met this 
a wonderful girl at, at Concordia and we got uh, married and we both were going to be Lutheran school teachers. I was going to teach high school and she was going to teach elementary school. So we got married and uh, we got a call to, um, I got a call to serve at the Lutheran high school in Sheboygan, Wisconsin. So neither of us had really been to Wisconsin very much. I think we might've gone on choir tour or something one time, but so we went up there and, uh, and visited and, and she found a, a job and got a call there teaching in elementary school in the area. And so we, uh, we moved up there and started making our life. So um, there were several Lutheran churches in the area that we could join, um, uh, feeder schools and, and other congregations that didn't have schools in the area, quite a few actually. Um, but since she was teaching at a school that also had a church, um, they, they asked that uh, all their teachers would be members of their congregation. And there was certainly nothing wrong with that. So we said, okay. So, so we did that. Um, the issue was that uh, it was about 20 minutes outside of town, which, which uh, was, was a little far, especially in the winter to drive sometimes. And we were kind of lazy new graduates and we didn't want to have to go that far necessarily. <laughs> and also we realized pretty quickly that this church um, was kind of out in the middle of nowhere a little bit. It was out kind of in farm country. And um, it was a very small congregation and it was very old, like a lot of churches are in Wisconsin, uh, probably over 100 years old, mm -hmm. I think, if I remember correctly. And um, <laughs> and they and they were very traditional and they did things. They went through different settings in the hymnal. They even used TLH uh, once a month, I think. Um, some of those old oh, settings, page nice. 5 and 15. And, uh, and we had no appreciation for that whatsoever. We thought like this was uh, this is like a bunch of old this like this is why the church is dying. Look at what the church is doing. We're doing all these old settings of things, and there's all these older people who are members of this congregation, and the school's not going to last very long because we're not bringing in young members and all this kind of stuff. And we were very pessimistic, not towards the towards the school and this kind of thing, but just towards the idea that we should be doing the same things that people have been doing for a long time that weren't bringing people in. And we thought this is this is going to be the end of things. You know, these people are going to eventually go to be with Jesus and the church isn't going to last. Um, and so we, mm -hmm. we attended that church when most of the time when we had to, when my wife was also involved with the, the music um, at the, at the, at the church level, as well as with the school. So if she was directing, <coughs> if she was directing a, a choir or something, then we would definitely go there and we made our appearances there. So nobody was upset with us for, for not showing up and stuff. But, um, but when we had a chance to, we would go to a different church. Uh, there was another church in the area that um, had a contemporary service and it was later in, on, in the morning. So th this other church had two services with kind of a Bible study in between, kind of the usual format. And this other church had three services on Sunday morning. Um, they did offer a Bible study at the time during the second service, um, but we could show up at, I don't even know what time it was now, probably 10.30 or something or 11 and uh, go to the late service. And it was at a contemporary setting and the pastors didn't wear robes at the last service and all that. And so we thought this is good. We can sleep in a little bit. Uh, we can kind of take our time. <laughs> and this has this has music that we more hear on Christian radio and stuff and, and we're familiar with. And so this is good. And it didn't seem like the kind of stodgy old stuff that, that we had both really grew, grew up in and that we thought maybe wasn't uh, wasn't the best thing for the church to be doing. Um, so we did that for quite a while. And then we got pregnant with our first child. It was three years. Um, and... Uh, and there were other we, we visited other churches around too. Um, there were other churches in in Sheboygan and and arounding there, and we visited several of them. And and uh, the vast majority of them were pretty uh, traditional and conservative, and did the liturgy and all that kind of stuff. And we thought, well, goodness, this first of all, there's tons of churches around here. Why are there so many churches blocks away from each other? Um, not understanding any of the history of the area, just kind of being 
uh, smug a little bit. And, um, and so we kind of, I, I can speak for me. I want to speak for my wife. I, I had a little bit of contempt for some of those other churches. I thought like, they're just, they're kind of old and silly and they're going to be gone in a couple of years. And, uh, the, all the younger people like us are going to be going to churches that have these newer settings and services and this kind of thing. And, uh, isn't that a shame? Um, and so even though we visited a couple other places, we, we, you know, settled down and, 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 uh, we're, were members at the church where my wife was teaching, but we attended pretty regularly at the other place. So when, when my wife got pregnant, we decided that she was going to stay home and uh, and watch our, our kid. And so um, that means that she could uh, she could uh, leave her job there and we wouldn't have to be members of that church out in the country anymore. We could be members officially of this other church, which we'd, we'd, which we'd been attending regularly anyway. So we said, great, so we'll do that. So we did that, and then we started to notice some things um, about having a, a child. And this church had a um, had a, a nursery, basically, that they offered during all the services. You could drop your child off at the beginning of the service and then leave your child there and then go pick them up at the end. And they had somebody in there to, to watch an adult and a bunch of toys and this kind of thing. Um, the mm-hmm. From what I recall, the service wasn't um, you know piped in through the audio into that room at all necessarily. It was just a place for for the kids to go and for parents to drop off their kids so that they could um, participate in the service without having to mess with their kids. So we did that for a while. And um, in fact, I, my wife and I had actually, the, the, the other church that we first attended, the kind of country church had asked us since they knew we had a little experience in this to lead a contemporary service like once a month, the last year we were there. And we were pretty happy to do that. Um, we both learned how to play guitar kind of in college I had had been a DCE student, and that's like a requirement for being a DCE student is to learn how to play guitar. So we we don't play guitar, and we thought we can do this, and so we we did that a couple times um, the last year we were there, um, and so we we're pretty pretty familiar with all that. So I joined the praise band when they had an opening at this other church uh, that we were we were members at now, and so I got to play guitar there um, basically every week for the the second half of the second service. It was kind of a blended service, the second one. And then also the, the late service. And so on Saturday morning, I had rehearsal. And then Sunday, I would go do that. Well, um, and we'd drop our daughter off at the nursery. Well, then we started to realize that um, that there was no, like, Sunday school really offered. Uh, there, there was for a little while during the second service. And we used to go to that sometimes. But then there wasn't, like, there weren't many people there. And the people who were there were, were usually older people, uh, usually couples. And uh, it was usually led by one of the pastors, but usually it was some kind of a uh, play the video and talk for the last 20 minutes kind of a kind of a study. Um, and we started thinking about these things more carefully, especially when we had our child, because we wanted to teach her Christianity and all this. And um, and there wasn't a lot of opportunity to do that. And we thought, well, do we want to put her in the nursery? We want to bring her into church. And so we did that. Um, for a while too, and try to bring her in, and that was, of course, a kind of a struggle because we hadn't taught her how to how to do that, um, how to sit mm-hmm. quietly for that long. So, then when we had our our second child. I found an opportunity. I used that as an opportunity to kind of walk away from the from the praise band. Um, but really, by that point, I don't I don't recall exactly how this happened, but somehow I had been turned on to um, to quite a few things actually. One one of them was this. Uh, focus on the family uh, study that was called the Truth Project. That was this, a big, long kind of video study they actually did at, at during the Bible study time at this other church we were at. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, and that impacted my thinking quite a bit that there were actually 
things that there were, there were things that I had not considered about the Bible. I thought like I grew up going to church and I was kind of one of the know-it-alls in my confirmation class. And I went to Lutheran school and I kind of knew all the ins and outs of Christianity. Of course, that's my, you know, kind of uh, overconfident, um, you know, young 20 something thinking, no offense to you. Um, <laughs> oh, not but taken. I was, but I was, it can be yeah. a couple ass hats sometimes. Yeah. But I was, but I was of course very, very wrong. And, uh, and so I started to realize there were lots of things in scripture and lots of connections to be made that I wasn't making. And that, that mm. there was actually this big, long uh, story being told, obviously about Jesus, but this whole thing about truth and these other, these other things that I thought didn't matter that much actually did matter. And there was way more seemingly kind of like underneath the surface than I had, had considered. Um, and it, and it, not that, that I hadn't remembered anybody teaching me either. And maybe people did try to teach me that and I wasn't listening. That's entirely possible. But certainly I hadn't, I hadn't caught on to those things. And so, um, so through that and through, we actually got in a kind of a small group Bible study that went through some of this stuff too. And that was actually helpful. I know small groups can be a, a mixed bag sometimes, but that was pretty helpful for us. We met some really good friends that way. Um, and mm. through all this, we were starting to, uh, to look through these things more carefully. And somehow I got turned on to some other Lutheran uh, resources. Um, I, I had, I had some, st- <laughs> this is, I can't even give this story in one big long thing. While this is happening in my, in our, kind of our personal lives, in, in my professional life, I went from teaching all computer classes the first couple of years that I was at this school to when I had this truth project um, study, I, I asked if I could teach some theology classes. And the, the pastor who was on staff there at the time was gracious enough to let me do that. And so I started teaching some of this truth project stuff. Well, then I got teaching um, Old and New Testament as well. And I started getting more and more into the scriptures and looking more and more into resources and asking more and more questions that I had. Um, not just about mm-hmm. denominational things, but just about all sorts of things. And I was finding all these answers and that was changing my perspective. And so all that is happening kind of in my day job while my wife and I are trying to raise our kids while we're experiencing these things um, in church on Sunday morning. And they all started to kind of come together. And so I was made aware of um, of some resources like the Truth Project, but then also some Lutheran resources like um, Issues Etc. Or like uh, mm-hmm. Pastor Fisk's videos, and some of my students were actually respectfully, but starting to challenge me on some of these things in class. That I would I would play some praise song as like a you know listen to this and let's talk about it kind of thing, and they were saying, why don't you use any Lutheran stuff? And I was like, well, they don't have a lot of good stuff out there, and this stuff is is more engaging and uh, this kind of thing. And, and those were my usual responses. So I had these conversations, <laughs> kind of on the flip side of where I would be in a lot of ways now. Um, yeah. those were all really helpful. Uh, so I, I discovered these resources, and then it, once I got issues, et cetera, then I would listen to people that were on that. So I heard Chris Roseboro being interviewed on issues, et cetera, and they said he has a podcast called Fighting for the Faith. And I was like, oh, great. So I started listening to some of that stuff, and and Brian Wolfmuller's on there, and he's got Table Talk Radio. Oh, great. I listened to some of that stuff. So I started listening to all these different uh, resources, and I had I had some time to do this because I was, I was teaching some theology, but I was also um, working as kind of the technology coordinator. And so I had some time. While I was fixing computers or working on network stuff or whatever to put on some podcasts and listen while I was working. And I was hearing all these different resources. And this was this was making a difference on me. And then I come home and talk to my wife about it. And, and we were starting to kind of move in a, in a direction different than we had been going before. And so so when my second child came back to that again, I, I find this opportunity to leave the praise band. I was really getting frustrated being in the praise band, singing these songs that were quite vapid for the most part. They didn't have anything to say about much of anything in them. And I was starting to realize mm-hmm. that what, what some of my students um, had been bringing up in class to me and that I had been pushing back against and what I'd been hearing a little bit on some of these other podcasts and things 
were actually true um, kind of on the ground. I was singing these songs that, that really didn't say much of anything about about Christ or his word or anything the Bible actually talked about in any kind of substance. Not that they were, not that they were anti-Christian necessarily, right? But they weren't, they certainly weren't full of anything. As, as they say sometimes on the you know, Super Talk Radio, it's not that they had false teaching. They weren't teaching anything. They were very general. And so I, so, so I left the praise band and then we, we, uh, we start, so we stopped putting our kids in the, in the nursery. We wanted them to be in church with us. And we were kind of the outskirts of that. Well, and this other church that we were members of now, this, this larger, more contemporary, at least in their, their late service church. Um, we, we kind of moved up to the middle service, but then we realized that there was no Bible study offered. And then they, then they eventually got rid of the Bible study on Sunday morning. There was no Bible study for adults on Sunday morning. They had, That's a shame. they had, um, children's church. They had Sunday school for a while and then they changed it to children's church. So they would actually take the kids and, um, they would, they moved the sermon to the end of the service even after communion, when it was a communion Sunday. And then when the, when, the, when the sermon started, all the kids would go out to children's church. So the kids would be in for all of the rest of the service, but for the sermon, they'd be out. And they had a little lesson that was 20 minutes long, whatever, for the kids. So oh, so they did that. and But they only had that during the second and third services. Well, we, we kind of migrated up over time from the third service to the second service. Eventually, we were going to the early service, which was the more um, traditional one. And so by that point, they didn't have children's church for the first service. So our kids didn't even have the opportunity of going, but then they didn't have an opportunity mm-hmm. of going to Sunday school at all because we didn't stick around for the second service. We went to the first service and then we left. And so sure. we thought, well, this is kind of interesting. There's no educational opportunities on Sunday morning uh, besides the worship service for adults or for children. So this is all happening and we're, we're having a kid every two years. So I'm, I'm sure I'm getting all the time span kind of mixed up here, but this is all happening. And, and I'm teaching more and more theology and researching more and more stuff on my own. And I get into all these, these topics that I'm pretty passionate about now about creation evolution or about marriage and the family or all these different things that I was learning about that I had never really seriously considered. And again, I don't remember anybody teaching me about those, but again, maybe they were and I wasn't listening, but I was becoming more passionate about these these sure. issues, and and interestingly, as as the more I learned about these things, the the more it seemed like my students were asking more questions about these things, and I was actually able to answer the questions now, because now I had looked up some answers and I had gotten some some education and some guidance on some of these things, and so it was benefiting me, but it was also benefiting my students and making me a better teacher, and it was benefiting my family, um, and this was all working out pretty well. Um, so by the time we by the time we had our um, our fourth child. Well, by the time we had our third child, we were basically not attending that church anymore. We were going to one of the other churches that was closer to us, that had been closer to us the entire time that we had not wanted to go to because we had seen them as, um, as boring, staunch. I guess. Yeah. Staunch. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. Right. We just, we didn't, we didn't appreciate <laughs> it. And we were going to, and we we're reading all these hymns and thinking like, Oh my goodness, these are full of, scriptural references and amazing connections of things. And they're not mm-hmm. just saying the same thing over and over again. And, and it's not that they're all old. There's some new hymns as well, but they're actually teaching us things and teaching our kids things. And our kids would walk around the house um, sometimes talking or singing about some of these things instead of some of the other stuff we've been doing. We thought this is great. Mm-hmm. Well, so then we, we got pregnant with our, with our fourth and, um, uh, and I, and I got a call to, to uh, Faith Lutheran in Las Vegas to be a high school theology teacher to just teach theology, to not have to do anything <laughs> that I was doing with the other school, which which was a, which is a wonderful school. And I love that school. 
and I love the people there and I, I miss them terribly. My wife and I uh, both do. Um, but one of the downsides of being at a smaller school is you have to do a lot of things. They don't have full-time resources for, for all those different things. So you end up wearing a lot of hats, which is kind of fun and you don't get bored. Um, but it's also kind of hard to specialize in anything. And so, uh, and, and the technology thing is especially is a, is a drain. There's a lot of things to do with that. And you're kind of always on call. Um, and when things break or you got to upgrade this or that over the summer or these kinds of things. So, um, so I got this call to, to serve in uh, Las Vegas. My family's from Southern California. And so we, uh, we, we decided to, to accept the call. And so my, my fourth child was born, uh, just about two weeks before we left. So all of our children were baptized, um, at this other church, this, this second church, the larger church we went to, except for our last mm-hmm. one was baptized at this other church that we, uh, that we had started, um, attending and, and were members of now. Um, and we did Luther's like 1526 baptismal, right? Which is fantastic. We can talk about that another time, <laughs> you know, out, out evil, yeah, out evil spirit and make room for the Holy spirit, this kind of thing. So it was awesome. Oh, um, man. So, so we did that. And, and so this, this is, and so now leaving the Midwest and coming to back or back to the Southwest, um, things tend to be more, um, progressive we'll say in some ways out here in terms of some of the theology and, and some of the practice at least um and there's another conversation we could have but um so my perspective is really completely changed about this that i i now understand at least more so i don't claim to be an expert but i understand more so the differences between these different denominations and why we have them and why we can mourn the separation of christians but at the same time we can celebrate that um that we are trying to stand on the word of god and that's important to do, even if that requires to separate sometimes. Um, and so that's that's worth doing when it comes down to things that God's word actually does say, not things that we have opinions about, but things that God's word seems to be saying um, clearly and explicitly. And so my wife and I, at least, have come basically uh, you know, 180 from where we where we were and really back to where we where we were kind of as kids, but really didn't know it, which is to appreciate all these different um, these different uh, uh, things that, that the Lutherans have been doing for hundreds of years, and really the church has been doing for for much longer than that. Um, so that's that's been a helpful experience just to go through all that. And um, I don't know. Some people say like you don't you don't uh, you don't value what you have until you don't have it, kind of a thing. Uh, maybe we sure. didn't know exactly what what the rest of Christianity. Um, was offering until we started engaging in some of that. And even not even as far as you were just within the, the kind of LCMS circles, but there's a pretty wide variety there. And we realized that, um, what's that, what our Lutheran, uh, forefathers have, have put down for us is, is helpful and it's worth standing on and it's worth fighting for, um, in, in a loving, respectful, gentle, and yet, um, stern way because we, we believe it's based on scripture and, um, so now I have conversations like I had before, but I have them from the opposite perspective. And I, I exactly, exactly know what it's like um, to have those discussions. And I, I've used those arguments <laughs> um, on the other side of things. And so I'm, and, and you are too, and, and, a, and a bit of unique perspective to try to, ho- to try to help to point people towards um, good Lutheran teaching and preaching and, and music um, because of all those things. So, and I, I have a background in music, which is a whole other thing. So I've, I've seen this from a variety of perspectives on the musical side and on the teaching side um, and on the ministry side. And so I, I can't be, um, I can't be 
thankful enough to the people who uh, spoke to me and were uh, kind and generous to me in our conversations. There were there were students, like I said, that had conversations with me. There were parents that came in, had uh, respectful conversations with me about things um, and just encouraging me to check things out and to do more research. And they weren't yelling at me and they weren't uh, condemning me. They were they were helpful or other teachers that I had conversations with. Uh, man, the difference between my my older chapel messages that I used to give. And by the time uh, I was I was leaving that school in Wisconsin and now are, are very, very different. Um, and no one came right out and, and condemned me or yelled at me, but people were encouraging and they set a good example. And through all that, um, yeah, yeah. I believe that, that God worked to to correct some of my misunderstandings and to um, kind of light a fire in me to uh, to try to pass on the riches that we've been handed in these different areas. So that's a, that's a lot, but that's about it. So here's maybe kind of a follow-up question towards a lot of what you went through. Do you think maybe that, that as you were young and you were kind of being formed, right, in your household catechesis, do you think maybe it would have helped if you had more, what's the word, maybe more examples of what other denominations taught, right? And we kind of see this sometimes in our confessions where we don't always in our confessions make just the positive confession, but we actually will condemn heresies. Right. Because sometimes it's helpful, right, to point out what we believe in light of something else that's opposed to it. Yeah, I think that is incredibly helpful. In fact, I had a I had a family one time, a Roman Catholic family in Wisconsin come and uh and asked to meet with me and they said something like, um, we were talking about Reformation history in theology class and where Lutheranism came from. And of course, if you're going to talk about that, you need to compare it to how the church was at the time, uh, the mm-hmm. Roman church. And so we were, we were talking about that. And they said, why can't you just say what you believe without, without saying that what other people believe is wrong? And I thought about that. And I don't, I don't know if I told them this in person or if I just thought it later, but that's, but you can't explain where Lutheranism comes from in that regard historically unless you say we disagreed with the existing church about these things. That's, that's what our confessions do, right? They compare to the church at the time, what they're teaching and to, and to what some of the modern day people at that time were, were teaching, not only in the church, but outside the Roman church. And then they connect it to what the church had always confessed in the past, the church fathers. And they said this, we believe what, what those original Christians believed and you guys have changed it. Here's how you've changed it. And here's why we don't believe what you believe. So I think it is helpful in that regard. Now, I think we have to be careful in that, that we don't um, uh, vilify unnecessarily or speak ill of people who believe different things, not to, to, to be personal attacking, uh, personally attacking them, right? Um, but we're, if we're talking about ideas, which, by the way, just in our culture is really hard to do, because if you criticize what someone <laughs> believes or says, right, it's, it's tantamount to saying that they're a big poopy head. And that's, that's right. It's not, a personal attack. Yeah, right. And that's not what we mean. I mean, regardless of the the martin luther you know insults generator you can find online we're not insulting people personally um we're trying to talk about ideas that we believe these ideas are in line with scripture and those ideas are not and here's why and we can have um rational discussions about those things but yeah i think that's helpful and and quite honestly i mean as, as as great as my education was and it really was in a lot of ways i'm very thankful for a lot of the things that i learned in my Lutheran school when I was a kid or um, in confirmation class and all this, I don't remember, I don't remember having conversations about why those things were necessarily important. Like certainly the importance of the gospel and those kinds of things, 
But in terms of mm-hmm. what other denominations believe, or even what's like, I know I learned what other religions believe. So that was made pretty, pretty clear to me that um, they didn't believe in Jesus as their savior and those kinds of things. But certainly denominations, I didn't really get a hold of. And again, maybe that was because I wasn't really listening for those kinds of things. And those kind of floated over my head at the time. Um, but yeah, I think sure. that can be very helpful to, to bring up, again, not to try to make fun of someone, but to say, here's, here's a set of beliefs and here's another set of beliefs. And these two are in conflict. And which one of those lines up with scripture? And, and how can we um, discuss that in a helpful way? Yeah, I think that's, that's, that's necessary at some point. Maybe not when, when kids are very small because you teach them what they need to know and they memorize things quickly and all that. But certainly once you get into the, the developmental age where kids are starting to ask questions, uh, which is right around, you know, six, seven, eight, nine, certainly you're definitely into that stage. Um, you got to be providing some, some reasons why this stuff is important. I'm not just teaching you things to memorize because I want you to memorize them. They're beneficial and useful. And here's the, the kind of antithesis of that. And here's why we don't believe this, but instead we believe um, this over here. So yeah, definitely. Absolutely. Yeah, that's something that actually impressed me very much when I first kind of came into Lutheran camp. Because as a non-denominational evangelical, we're not taught the whole of Christendom. And what I mean by that is very often Lutherans are not shy to look at what other Christians believe, right? And to condemn it outright. Because we have this beautiful doctrine of the clarity of Scripture. But for other, other religions, and I don't want to say religions even, other denominations, your catechesis, and especially in the non-denominational church, is very close-minded and very shallow, and that they teach everything that they believe, and they will never touch on what any other type of Christian will believe, except for maybe, you know, like, like a low blow every here and there. You know, you can make fun of a Catholic for not believing in justification, make fun of a Lutheran for baptizing babies, right? But there's no approach, and maybe I think this might be actually a lack of love, it's not considering what your neighbor might have to say or teach and really just making fun of them at any expense you have. Um, and I think there would be a lot of wealth, right? If more denominations were like Lutherans in that they looked more at the historical church and, and they questioned what other denominations outside themselves believe. And, and I'm sure there's a lot wrapped up in that, right? Because I mean, for, yeah. for a non-denominational to look at that, <laughs> it's kind of conflicting with a lot of their theology to look at the past church right. because it's so radically right. different, right? But at the same time, it's something that's always impressed me with just Lutherans, especially when I first got in camp, right? And I first started looking at these Lutheran teachers and they're just unafraid to just talk about what other people believe. They have a lot more engagements with other Christians. And I think that's really healthy, especially... Um, especially as I'm, I'm sure we have lots of, you know, as we grow in listeners here, people listening aren't, are probably going to be people around your age, my age, they're starting families, they're having children, they're looking into the catechesis and they're thinking about what to teach their children. And I think you're right on. As soon as children start having these questions, I mean, we have to give them some form. And I'm not saying a, you know, a thorough seminary education of every denomination under the sun, but at least a general idea of like, we practice infant baptism. Do you know there are some Christians who don't practice that? Let's understand from the scriptures why we practice that. Just so that when they get into high school, they're not just swept under the feet when all of a sudden it's like, oh yeah, we're Christians and we don't teach that. That's your man-made tradition. And you know, they're, it's, it's very jarring, I think, sometimes. And I, I've actually, I've, I've talked to some Lutherans who've been Lutheran like you their entire life. And um, they get into high school, right? Or middle school. And they start to actually interact with other Lutherans. And I mean, these are, these are well 
catechized Lutherans. You know, this is not like a Lutheran that just, you know, they brought they were brought to church every Christmas, right? These are these are kids who know their catechism, but they start to talk to other denominations and they go, well, that guy said baptism doesn't save, and that guy said that 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 you know, and they're they're, they're blown away, right? They get knocked under the feet and they go, well. Well, why do we believe it saves? You know, why can't we believe it's just symbolic? You know, why? And, and I think sometimes there can be a little lack of that, but it's just something I've noticed and something that intrigues me with your story is that um, and it, I want to be careful because of course it's nobody's fault necessarily, but it is something that of course we, you know, as, as future families, as, as, as raising up future children, the next generation, it's something for us to consider. How are we raising our children? You know, are we, are we teaching them that there are other Christians out there? Are, are we giving reasons, systematic reasons, as to why we believe what the scriptures say and why we, you know, reject other things? I think it's important stuff. Yeah, well, piggybacking on that, I think um, it, it's interesting. We've, we've fallen so far from that that in my experience with, with the students that I've had the last 15 years or so is that not only do members of denominations not know why they are a member of that denomination, but we don't even like Christian kids can't even defend Christianity. And so, mm-hmm. I mean, like, you know, forget for a second, the, can you defend baptizing babies thing, which obviously we should be able to do. And that's important. Right. But I got Christian mm-hmm. kids that like, they get, they get uh, some, you know, Buddhist or atheist for a roommate freshman year in college. They don't know how to respond to the, the kind of internet atheist uh, website arguments, you know, like isn't the, isn't the Bible like playing a big game of telephone and, and, uh, you know, God's a big meanie and he, he uh, you know, promotes genocide and, and isn't God supposed to be loved, but you say these people are sinful and like, what's up with all that? And, and a lot of the Christians have no idea how to answer some basic questions like some of those at all. And that's part of why I'm doing this, we're doing this podcast and why I'm doing this website and, and all. I don't remember learning a lot of, a lot of solid answers for a lot of those types of questions. And certainly the internet has changed a lot of that and it wasn't available when I was a kid, but, um, not until high sure. school anyway, but, um, but I want to provide resources for people who have the questions that I had um, so that I can be a resource to them. And so I, I want to speak to students and churches and whoever else will, will, uh, will benefit from that about these kinds of things to, to not only defend um, Lutheranism, which we need to do. We need to know why we believe in terms of our confession in that regard, but also to defend basic Christianity. And, and you know, in our culture today, Christianity is obviously not accepted and, and it's basic things about that the law and the gospel and and what god's judgment and and why we need jesus and all that and what does god say about different things marriage and the family and these kind of things are under attack mm-hmm. so i've i've again this this passion has awoken um in me recently in the last 10 years anyway to really try to figure out how i can be a resource to people who are in situations like i was and kids who are in situations like i was who maybe are going to christian schools and their and their parents are making sure that they're getting a good education, all this stuff. But for some reason, those things aren't connecting and they're going to have questions one day. And if there aren't answers to those questions and they don't know where to go to find the answers, um, that's going to be tragic. And we see this happening around us, right? That um, like, even if you take Christian kids who grew up in Christian homes, somewhere between 70 and 90% of them are not attending church any longer by their freshman year of college. <coughs> um, so, we're, so we're keeping yeah. between 10 and 30% of our kids. Um, generation over generation and that has disastrous effects for not only the lutheran church but mainline christianity especially as a whole and it's not just that they're all fleeing to the local non-denom church certainly some of that's happening but some of them are just dropping out altogether some of them do come back sure. uh, statistically when they have a child or when they get married that kind of thing um, but most of them don't and that's a terrible thing and so we need to 
be able to find, provide resources for for our students so that we can um, not only fulfill the Great Commission, but also um, what First Peter 3 says, to give a defense uh, for the reason, for the hope that is within us, right? So we can, we can tell people the gospel and we can um, strengthen our own faith and the faith of others by engaging in these discussions and questions and all that. So, yeah, I think all that is super important. And if we don't ever... Um, mm have those difficult discussions or, or allow our kids to question things in kind of safe environments and be, and be um, exposed to difficult questions and, and hard scenarios when there's answers available, then when they actually do hit those questions or have those thoughts themselves or meet their atheist roommate or whatever, they're not going to know what to do with that. And that's, that's going to be a, yep. a terrible thing. And this happens you know, all around us all the time. Kids go off to college or, or even before that even, and they haven't been told why, it's important to believe what they believe or why the church does things certain ways. And they either start to get frustrated like I was um, and, and start to check out a little bit, or they just walk away altogether. Um, and that's a, that's a tragedy. Obviously we want to avoid that, of course. Absolutely. Are you ready? Uh, I have an atheistic argument ready for you. You ready? Okay. Well, let's, let's do one and then we'll see if we can get into our, uh, our hymn here and then we'll finish it up. Oh, it's, it's a quick one. Okay. I promise. Let's see what I can do. Mixed cloth. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm being so cheeky. That. No, you don't have to go off on that. Well, here's, here's the quick answer, and we can do more another time. But okay, so there's all these Levitical laws, right? And especially in Leviticus and a little bit in Exodus and stuff, but all these laws about what the Israelites are supposed to eat and what they're supposed to wear, like the mixed cloth thing, and they're not supposed to um, shave their sideburns and all this kind of stuff, right? And those are alongside all these laws about cleanliness about purity and about you can't uh, touch blood or touch dead things or a woman who's been on her cycle and some of these kinds of things right and so the or eat bacon and this kind of thing right so the general atheist argument and like i know you're laughing because you think it's a ridiculous argument but i have kids ask me that question all the time this is a really uh, common argument i know you know that this is a very yeah, common argument yeah. and most christians probably can't answer this question which is terrible it's certainly not christians between the age of 13 and 19, which is probably the ones that get hit with that question the most from their internet atheist cousin or whatever. So the quick answer, <laughs> the quick answer is that, that those that laws, cousin. those laws were never given to Christians. Those laws were given to Israelites at that time in the wilderness and, and following that, right. Um, up until Jesus comes, right. Who didn't have a King originally, Right. God was their king. God gave them civil rules to follow, including some penalties for some of those rules, including the death penalty. Sometimes God gave them laws about worship, like sacrifices and what makes them clean and unclean. Right. Um, and God gave them um, rules about about morality, about basic um, basic ethics. And some of those go back to the Ten Commandments. So there's a there's a there's a will of God that goes all the way from creation and continues all the way through today. God didn't have to tell. Adam and Eve and Cain and Abel not to kill each other. When Cain kills Abel, he knows he's done wrong and God condemns him for that. And he knows that's wrong. That's why he tries to hide it, right? And we know that. And that exists from creation. That's God's will all the way through. And that's still in effect today, okay? But the like the sacrificial system, right? Or the cleanliness stuff or the stuff you're talking about, about being set apart from the nations, wearing the two types of cloth and not planting two types of crops and this kind of thing, right? These are to, the, right. These are to set the Israelites apart from the other nations so, then, so the other nations will say, you guys are kind of weird. What's up with that? And they can say, oh, God's going to send the savior of the world to us. We're supposed to be different because of that. And we're, we're to be distinct. And there's some other things. That, that's a very quick answer. There's a lot of more nuanced things with that. But they're supposed to stand right. out. Those people will ask the question, hey, the Bible says you're supposed to um, kill people who work on the Sabbath, right? 
And I say, no, it doesn't. It said the Israelites in the Old Testament were supposed to kill people who worked on the Sabbath. That law is not applicable right. to me, right? There are, certain, there are things in the Old Testament that are applicable to everybody, Christian, non-Christian, Jew, non-Jew, doesn't matter. And there are some things that are only given to the Israelites. The, the Gentiles are never, um, are never condemned for not circumcising their children, right? That's given to the Jews for a certain reason, as are the cloth rules and the, and the dietary rules and this kind of thing. And when Jesus comes, all those things were pointing at him. So why would we possibly, if it's like putting a, it's like putting up, um, like we see signs around when they're building things, like they're building a new supermarket or something. It says like, you know, future home of an Albertsons or whatever, right? Well, when the, when the Albertsons is there, you don't keep the sign up. The sign <laughs> is no longer necessary. The, 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 the reality, right? The, the fulfillment of it is there. And in that same way, all those things in the Old Testament are pointing ahead to Jesus, the sacrificial system and the cleanliness laws and all this kind of stuff, right? And once Jesus comes, right. there's no more need for the sign. There's no more need for the, for the pointing ahead. The reality is there. Um, and so in those ways, those things were fulfilled by Jesus. And the Bible gives us explicit directions about the vast majority of these things, that there's no food that's unclean, um, that, that right. there's no need to follow these, these Old Testament laws in those ways. Now, some, of those, some right. of those things mean that the consequences are removed, for example, working on the Sabbath, but there's still an element of that that's true for, for all people, right? and certainly for Christians, and that we are to, to rest, right? That we find our rest in Christ, like Hebrew says, this kind of thing. But the, if you see your neighbor working on Sunday, or Saturday, whatever day you think the Sabbath is, um, it doesn't mean that you, <laughs> you, you, you like, go ahead and <laughs> go ahead and smashes smashes lawnmower with a sledgehammer because working on the Sabbath, right? Um, that's a whole different thing. Yeah. So there's there's a lot of nuance with some of those things. Again, this is a very quick answer, but um, but a lot of Christians yeah. don't even have that basic understanding of things. And so I, I again, I, I, I'm passionate about trying to get people answers to those questions because I don't want them to be caught unaware or to be stumped by. Yeah, whoever it is, their their favorite atheist or whatever, and then not have an answer and go, well, oh my gosh, the Bible is inconsistent and it must not be true. And, and God's a big meaning in the Old Testament. And what are we going to do about that? Um, or, right. or, 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 or maybe I just know some things about God, but all religions basically are true and teach this, the things that, that God has in common, that God is love. That's what the point is, right? Well, there's, there's things we need to be able to explain and how those all point to um, the judgment that comes because of all of our sin and the grace and mercy that comes because of Jesus and how God works all of that through a story in the Old Testament leading up to Jesus and then even through um, the church and pointing back to Jesus and through that. So there, that's a very quick answer on a very right. uh, good and common question. Right, right. So, so kind of in synopsis, right? It's not, um, just to further clarify really quick, it's not inherently sinful, right, to wear mixed cloth. Right. But for the sake of that commandment at the time, for what it symbolized, which was Christ, it was sinful for the people at that time. But that's why it can be abrogated, because it was something that was clearly pointing to Jesus. And once he had come, it was not inherently sinful. Like, for example, you know, we go to like the Ten Commandments, right? Like, thou shalt not murder. It's inherently sinful to murder, right? right. And there's certainly ways in which you could probably pin that into Christ, but it's inherently sinful, right? <laughs> You're not getting around that anyway. Right. But and we yeah, know this. Absolutely. those kinds of things are Thank written on our so conscience. Right. Yeah, we know those things. But like the, you know, circumcise your kids, those things aren't written on our conscience. Those things aren't aren't obvious. Those are right. given, those are revealed in scripture to a certain group of people for a certain purpose at a certain time. And because of that, they're still in our Bible because they're meaningful to us and they point us to Jesus and it's good to know. But we are no longer obligated right. to follow those things. Or I should say, we we were never obligated to follow those things as the people at that time were right correct awesome all right so, ready to uh, go over him 
Sorry to bring us in that direction. No, that's cool. We'll move on to we should, we should do that. Word. We should do like a random atheist question of the day. You should just like surprise me with a question. Like <laughs> oh, that, I will. And then see, I have a lot. And then see if we can, we can talk through it quickly. Okay, good. Okay, so we decided today we we're going to talk through uh, thy strong word, which I've kind of used as like the little intro for the, uh, for the podcast here. All right, so how should, we, should we just go through verse by verse here? Sure. Okay, cool. Um, just a background, I guess. I really love that strong word. It's a fantastic hymn. It's like one of the, it's one of the first. So, so for me, not being Lutheran, right? Coming to Lutheran church, it's one of those. Um, at least the, the setting it's usually placed to is very common. Like even outside of Lutheran church, that's just a very common setting to hear for a lot of things. Mm-hmm. So I knew the setting right away. I heard the words. I, I thought about the words, and oh, they're beautiful. I love it so much. I'm really yeah, this, excited. This to be is actually a fairly recent hymn, right? The uh, um, the writer of the of the the words, Martin Franzman, was only born in 1907, died in 76. So, this would definitely be more a more of a contemporary hymn, um, right? In the but great scheme, that of brings into an important point when we look at things like this. Yeah, we are not anti-contemporary, right? We just want our hymns to express truth and right. clearly teach us God's word. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah, so there's all sorts of things that are that are new that still talk about old things, which is good. That's right. Okay, so um, uh, all right, so let's, well, I'll, I'll just read through verse one here, and, um, and we can stop and chat with things. Okay, so it says, "Thy strong word did cleave the darkness; at thy speaking it was done. For created light, we thank thee, while thine ordered seasons run. Alleluia, alleluia! Praise to thee, whose light doth send." Alleluia, 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 without end. All right, what strikes you in the first verse there? I can't sing this during Lent. <laughs> <laughs> so true. Oh, the sorry, that, that's more like the whole stanza, but. Yeah, um, that's a strong alleluia. word. It did cleave the darkness. And this is, I mean, there's kind of a duality going on here, right? Because what in Genesis was the first thing that cleaved the darkness of creation? It was God's word right? He spoke and the light appeared and there was no longer darkness. The the darkness was just broken apart. And at the same time, right, we go right into the New Testament. What is that which comes to cleave and rip apart the darkness, but the very word of God made flesh, the Christ. And so there's there's this beautiful duality going on here. And and of course, that's just the duality of the scriptures, that there's so much symbolism and beauty in the scriptures. We have pictured both of the word of God breaking the darkness in creation and also the word of God made flesh coming to break the darkness of sin and death and the world. And it's beautiful. I love it. Right. Yeah. So Genesis one parallels uh, John one, right? That there's this, the word comes into being, or the word word comes into creation in the beginning. And then the word comes Mm -hmm. into uh, the creation, right? When Jesus takes on flesh, the incarnation, John chapter one. All right, so this is interesting because we've we've kept the the uh, the text here in a little bit of an old-fashioned wording, right? We don't say your strong word, thy strong word, right? And there's some other words in here that are a little bit um, a little bit older in terms of their usage, right? Like cleave, we don't use that word all that often, okay? But thy strong word did cleave the darkness, so it, it breaks it open, like you said, it splits the darkness, right? Mm-hmm. Um, At thy speaking, it was done. So God spoke. And the, the darkness is separated. Now there's light, even though the word light hasn't come into the, the hymn yet. 
uh, for created light. There it is. We thank thee while thine ordered seasons run. So God gives us light and then he keeps the seasons going in their order. So we have day and night and then the sun moves and the earth moves and the moon moves and all these things work in the order that God set them at so that we can have days and seasons and years and keep track of all these things. All right. And then, right. And then the stanza is pretty, pretty simple. We have a lot of hallelujahs. Praise to thee who light <laughs> dost send. So God sends the light. And then the light, of course, is going to be like you mentioned already, kind of juxtaposed with the light of creation and also the light that Jesus brings into the world as he is the word as well. Mm-hmm. Okay, verse two. Uh, Lo on those who dwelt in darkness, dark as night and deep as death. Broke the light of thy salvation, breathe thine own life, breathing breath. And then the, and the chorus again. All right, what do you got there? Um, I really like just the, the second line there. It says, dark as night and deep as death. And, and that is really, um, I mean, it's, it's almost kind of a Lutheran distinctive. I know, I know the Reformed have this a little bit, but this idea that in darkness, right, our sinful condition is not just, um, it's not just the sickness, right? It's not just an illness. It's not that I'm just weak and battered and weary, right? It's, it's not that I'm just a wanderer in darkness and I really can't find my way. It's not even entirely, as a lot of people would like to say, that I'm broken, right? And we hear this language all the time about, oh, we're broken in our sin, we're broken in our sin. But it's so much more than that. It is deep as death. I mean, I am dead in sin, right? And this is definitely a very clear um, statement on original sin. To those who dwelt in darkness, to those who were dark as night, deep as death. Um, Scripture is very clear, right, on the human nature. And, and that we are not just in a sad condition, right? We are actually dead before God comes to us with his light through his word and sacraments. Before God comes to, um, and I'm kind of getting ahead of myself here, but as the next line will say, you know, uh, breathe his, his own life-breathing breath, right? I think it's really great that, I mean, this, this is teaching you things, right? And this is what I love about this hymn. This is teaching you something about original sin that a lot of other songs won't touch on. It's, um, it's really great, especially that second part. Broke the light of thy salvation, breathe thine own life, breathing breath. And once again, up, you know, we have this juxtaposition, right? Oh, go ahead if you want to say something. I was just going to say, it, 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 it's important to mention the, the sin, like you mentioned, because if we don't lay out clearly the depth of our sin, then when the good news of the gospel comes, it doesn't, it doesn't have its full effect, right? We need to have something about the bad news, about the law, so that we can fully appreciate the gospel. Otherwise, it's just, yeah, we're singing about Jesus and everything's good. But he rescues us. He redeems us. He is the salvation. So we need to understand that, that yeah, we are in the darkness of death otherwise. That's right. Um, I especially like this next verse, right? Broke the light of thy salvation. Breathe thine own life, breathing breath. And, and as once again, we're seeing this juxtaposition, right, of in Genesis, when, when God makes man, he breathes his own life into them to give them being, right? He gives them his own breath. And yet in sin, we are dead. And how do we have our new life-breathing breath? It is the light of our baptism. When, when Christ delivers all the goodness that he's earned for us at the cross, when he's, you know, he, he is that second Adam. And that's delivered to us in baptism where we have new breath. We have new life. And, um, oh, man, it's just, it's really nice. It, it, it goes perfectly with this whole idea of, you know, the old Adam, the old creation, um, which was subject to sin. And now this new Adam in Christ, this new this new word, and this new life breathing breath. You can get both from it, and it's really pretty. I love it so much. Then obviously awesome. the same, Alleluia, Alleluia, praise of thee who let thou send. Right. 
Okay, so I'm not um, sure what the what the author was thinking of when he wrote this second verse, but what I thought of when I was just reading it right now was, you know, I, li- I like hymns to kind of tell a story, you know, going through different things mm-hmm. in Scripture. And verse two, I mean, verse one is obviously creation, right? We have the light coming in to break the darkness, God's word. Verse two, I right. was wondering, who is it that these these are who are dwelling in darkness? And obviously, as you mentioned, all of us, in a sense, are dwelling in darkness, the darkness of our sin, right? But it's interesting you can connect this to uh, the shepherds who are dwelling in the darkness. They're out among the fields, keeping watch over their flocks by night. And what comes into being? But this light, God's word comes and, and shines. This multitude of angels comes praising God and telling them about, um, about their salvation, right? And the life-breathing breath that God has come to give us through through his son. And so the shepherds there oh, are, are leaving, living nice. this metaphor, right? Totally dark in the middle of nowhere. And then out of nowhere comes this light out of heaven breaking into their darkness and, and then giving them life and telling them where they can, where they can find this, this salvation. And they're motivated then to go and search for the child. So I'm not sure if that's what the author of the hymn is, is thinking here, but I like it. So I'm sticking with it. I don't, you're being faithful to Epiphany, so I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> I'm out. Of, I'm out of the liturgical seasons here. I don't know what I'm doing here. <laughs> That's right. Okay, let's do verse three. Um, thy strong word bespeaks us righteous, bright with thine own holiness. Glorious now we press toward glory, and our lives our hopes confess. And then again the chorus. So bespeaks there is a little a bit of an old word, right? But what does bespeaks mean? Um, to declare over us, really. Yeah. I mean, and I think this is this is most clearly seen, especially when we go into the large catechism, we see um, just how Luther deals with the word, right? And that is that it is God's word, which in conjunction with water, in conjunction with, you know, the, uh, the bread and wine, in conjunction by just being preached, right? That is what declares us righteous, that, that through the word, we are brought all of the benefits, all the gifts, everything that god wants to come and give us and um yeah bright with thine own holiness right very clear that that when god's word comes right when when we're washed in the water right is that just mere water no it's water that's come in conjunction with the word and when we're washed in that water with the word we have christ's own holiness there is essentially when god speaks his word over us right when God declares us righteous by his word, when God through the word to the death of Christ comes to us and gives us that alien righteousness of Christ, we are clothed in the very holiness of God. So that when Christ, or sorry, clothed in the holiness of Christ. So when God looks at us, right, we shine bright in Christ's holiness. So God no longer sees the sin. God no longer sees our own filthiness, right? As verse before, right? The, our own darkness, right? Our deep death. But God sees the, his own holiness on us when he looks at us. It's amazing. Yeah, that's right. And, and what's interesting about that, that, that then we, we shine, right? Connecting this whole thing with light, which this song is really about, right? We're bright with, mm-hmm. with God's own holiness, right? That we shine like Jesus does. And then look at the next line, glorious now, we press toward glory. So we already, we already have this glory because God speaks us uh, as righteous, right? He declares us to be righteous, and yet we are glorious, and we're still pressing toward glory, this kind of already and not yet that is the, the true Christian life, right? That we are already righteous, and yet we deal with our sins still, in a sense, here on earth. And this is, and our lives, our hopes confess, right? That we, what we say we believe, 
that is to be lived out in our lives. And certainly we sin and all that, but we are already glorious. We are already sanctified in that sense. And yet we continue to be sanctified by God's word throughout our lives. So we have that right. already true. And yet we're still working uh, towards that in a sense um, by the grace of God. Somebody Absolutely. once said that sanctification oh, is becoming what we already are, which I kind of like. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's very mysterious language, right? I mean, yeah. you get into questions of like, if God offers me all my forgiveness that I need in baptism, why do I need to have more forgiveness at the Lord's Supper? Yeah. And the answer is because you are still saint and sinner and because you still sin daily and you still need forgiveness, yeah. even if you have it all you need more forgiveness. Right. And it says the Augsburg confession would say over and over again to, to ease troubled consciences, right? That, that God is so gracious right. as to not just give us one thing to look to, but several to look to, to know that we are forgiven, right? We are baptized. We do receive Christ's body and blood. The pastor does declare our sins forgiven um, in the stead of Jesus. And so we have all these things to look to that God is constantly trying to assure us that our sins are forgiven and ease our troubled minds when those arise. That's right. All right. Verse four, uh, from the cross, thy wisdom shining, breaketh forth in conquering might from the cross forever beameth all thy bright redeeming light the only you think of the cross being bright and shining especially since it was dark when That's jesus right. died we also we don't often think about the cross in terms of wisdom either mm -hmm. that is a oftentimes we think of it like you said in darkness and loneliness and sadness and in sorrow right not necessarily wisdom not necessarily shining I like that because I think it connects with um, with the passage that talks about how uh, that, that God's God's wisdom is not God's wisdom is is above man's wisdom. This kind of thing, right? That, that God's wisdom is not to do things the way that we think they should be done. It's not that Jesus would come right. and be born in a palace and have nice uh, you know soft clothes and this kind of thing. But he comes to be born um, you know in in, a, in an alley someplace in Bethlehem and to and to to walk everywhere and to suffer and to die. And yet that's the way that God is wise, shows his wisdom, shows his power is through the weakness, the foolishness of the cross. And so we see we see what looks right. like foolishness and looks like death and looks like the end. And yet we know that that is exactly where life and peace and salvation and wisdom comes from, is from that that dead tree that Christ make, makes into the tree of life. Right. And it's, it's because of that weakness, right? Because he went through such sufferings, because he went through such lowliness, because he went through such, you know, to the world, foolishness, yeah. that he can break forth in conquering might in his resurrection, in his conquering of death, in his trampling of Satan's head. All these beautiful things, right? All right, awesome. Okay, verse four, let's keep going here. Um, from the cross, where did the one? Oh, verse five, okay. Uh, <laughs> Give us lips to sing thy glory, tongues thy mercy to proclaim, throats that shout the hope that fills us mouths to speak thy holy name. And the chorus is uh, the same there. I think it's, uh, oh, it's, it's slightly straightforward. Because the chorus oh. changes a little bit. It says, may the light which thou dost send fill our songs with alleluias. Alleluias with that end. All right. So give it the, that's pretty easy. Yeah. We, mm -hmm. we, so this is now moving from kind of, if, 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 if I'm tracking with this kind of the walking through the story of scripture a bit, Right. We have creation. Right. We have maybe something about the shepherds. We have that we are redeemed by Christ and his cross in verses three and four. And now this is this is about us currently modern times. Right. Give us lips now to sing thy glory and tongues thy mercy to proclaim. Right. Right. So we, we pray that God would fill us with this with this light, with this word 
that we could continue to praise him and we could proclaim that to other people as well. God's mercy. It's right. And also because the gospel is something, right, that even though it is something that, that brings us into the faith initially, this word of the gospel, it's something that must continually be on the lips of all Christians yeah. because the gospel is not something that is trivial and then left behind. It's something that we continue to walk in, something we continue to speak of, something we continue to declare. Yeah, that's right. All right and I, I tend to like um, hymns that, like I said, that kind of are a, a bit of a story, but also that hymn, hymns that have something um, about um, death or or the life to come, right? They kind of give us a, a, something to look forward to when our lives do end and what heaven is going to, to be like in some case. And this hymn does that a bit. Verse five already does a little bit of that. Um, May the light which thou dost send fill our songs with alleluias without end, right? So there is in the life to come. But then verse six right. kind of, kind of uh, finishes that up. Um, God the Father, light creator, to thee laud and honor be. To thee, light of light begotten. There's a reference to the Nicene Creed, right? God of God, light of light begotten. Praise be sung eternally. There's our, there's our eternity. There's our heaven. Holy Spirit, right. light revealer. Glory, glory be to thee, mortals, angels, now and ever. Praise the Holy Trinity. Oh, man. Just what a wonderful end to a hymn. I mean, this, this is absolutely reflective of really the divine service, right? When we come together and we confess that with angels and archangels and all the company of heaven, we laud and magnify you, evermore praise thee and saying that this whole idea, right, that, that we are not independent, right, but that we come together to get a glimpse of eternity. And this song is just showing us that, right? This, the Trinity, the fullness, God the Father, the light of light, that Son, the Holy Spirit, all of them, and all of us together, mortals, angels, now and forever, everybody together, the whole company of heaven, coming and praising the magnificent Trinity. And that's just, oh, that's beautiful. I, I, I see what you say now. You like kind of a story going on. And this is absolutely like from creation all the way to eternity. And, and it brings you from creation to sin, to original sin, to sending of Christ, to his death, to his resurrection to the singing of our glorious saints in this current time, and then bam, right on to eternity. It's the fullness of the Christian life, the fullness of really the whole scriptures. That's beautiful. Yeah, it's awesome. Um, yeah, some people make the mistake of playing this a little bit too slow. It's, uh, <laughs> otherwise, because it's in a minor key, so it sounds kind of mysterious. You know, it sounds, it sounds a little on the, hmm, what's going on with that? But if you play it a little too slow, it comes across kind of like a dirge. Like it takes forever to get through it. Like it's supposed to be, a bit a bit upbeat right because it's got to keep moving because you're you are telling the story and you want to get lost in the stands if the things moving a little slow that's a it's a bit of a nitpick but um yeah it's interesting to have a hymn in minor that's not a lenten hymn right most yeah. of the minor keys are lenten hymns. so so it's interesting from that perspective and there's some amazing um choral arrangements and and instrumental arrangements of this hymn because it's in a minor key and some interesting harmonies and stuff that the people have made up for it that are that are amazing um so Ooh, have you heard cph's recording of it it's fantastic <laughs> i don't know i'm I, maybe i have there's, there's so many different recordings of this i've sung several different arrangements of this um in choirs throughout the years and stuff and they're always pretty interesting to to hear the different harmonies and descants and stuff like that that are put on top of these to go along with these words to kind of paint the text while people are singing it which is really cool yeah absolutely all right uh that's what we had planned for today what do you want to do next time any ideas Ooh, next time we should uh you know i've been looking at some <laughs> i've been looking at some articles so it was fun so, so, so my fiance had and i are driving uh 
from the church we go to, which is about an hour drive away from Manhattan. It's a wonderful church in Topeka, great pastors. But so we're driving there and we're just curious, right? We're like, what, what do other denominations do with Romans 7? Because I am 100% convinced, and this will probably, I'll, I'll have a rant about this next podcast. <laughs> Nobody understands similusus et peccator. That is that we are both just and sinner at the same time. Nobody understands that other than Lutherans. Nobody. Nobody. And so we're, <laughs> we're going online and we're looking at, uh, we just typed in Romans 7 uh, commentary, right? And we're just picking whatever commentaries we find. We saw a Gospel Coalition one. We saw a Desiring God one. And man, oh man, maybe next time we can look through some of those and have okay. some fun with that. Because um, man, there's, there's some wacky rationalizations of how this is definitely not talking about the Christian. And this is definitely right. talking about somebody who's unregenerate. Yeah, not talking Despite about Paul. The fact that yeah <laughs> he'll use his personal pronouns oh it's crazy but so possibly that i mean uh we definitely we could look at a sermon i, w- I do want to i have some sermons that we can listen to we can pick apart if you want to that uh <laughs> are uh, some interesting sermons from different places i even here's have a couple should, from my we old do. church we should, we can look we should, at we should do i will not like, disclose the names of course we yeah can blurt it out but here's what we can do you can pull you can pull your roman seven um uh uh, exegetes out and then um, maybe we'll, we'll you can try to see if i can guess where they're from oh well, that sounds fun. theological okay. background they come from we could talk about some of those things and how that differs from what we believe about that right i'll i'll do some research and i'll try and gather some from all okay. maybe i'll gather some from like a couple different denominations okay that'd, that'd, be, that'd be interesting to see what also say about that, yeah. we should also talk about uh one other thing that was really interesting we we're talking about um ex opere operato uh-huh so we've determined, based on what the Catholic Answers websites give, oh, good. Um, that they do not believe the same things that they used to believe about ex opere operato. And they've, yeah. in fact, now changed their definition of what ex opere operato means to the Lutheran understanding <laughs> of, of, I'm serious, this, I'm not joking, this is from Catholic Answers. So it's really funny, right? You go into our confessions, and our confessions talk about an entirely different ex opere operato that they don't like. Yeah, but the Catholics nowadays—they're not describing the same one. So that's that's a conversation for okay. next time, probably. All right. <laughs> All right, we'll pull whatever you want to talk about there, and we'll uh, we'll do that. And if you have a random atheist question, we can do that too. Well, I have lots of those. Okay, very good. All right. Um, <laughs> All right. So let's see. Um, yeah, that sounds good. We'll we'll plan that for next time when we get together, and we'll we'll hit those things. All right. So um, he's Jacob. He's Dave. And this has been the Burning Boats Podcast. Thank you for listening to Burning Boats. <laughs> I don't have like a joke or anything to tell. Points joke or anything.